Americans are known as being entrepreneurs and starting up their own business and moving forward and becoming individually wealthy. China, on the other hand, is all about the community, all about the family, all about what's called Guangxi, which is the relationship aspect or contacts that they make with individuals. And that relationship means more to them than any contract. Welcome to China Biz Connect, the podcast that explores the fast-changing landscape of business-to-business sales and marketing in China with your hosts, Tim Lindemann and Michael Bragan. Today, we'll be interviewing David Broderick, who is Managing Director of Proteus, a private consulting firm with strong experience in creating IT strategies, establishing effective business processes, ensuring data quality, and helping organizations improve through executive coaching. David had spent several years as Director of Global Services working for CAI, an IT services outsourcing firm, and was responsible for developing the company's first business activity in China. David, it's great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks, Michael and Tim. I'm excited to be here. David, would you begin by telling us a little about ComputerAid and how the company started its journey in China? Sure. Um, We had a customer in Philadelphia, a Fortune 100 customer, that we had been doing business for a very long time in the States. Um, doing application development and support, um, but we also started venturing doing offsite work or offshore work in the Philippines. And we were talking to them about a new project. And at the same time that was happening, they decided they were going to shift their work from the Philippines to Shanghai because they were building a new research center there. So what they asked us is for this new project, would we be willing to do it in China? And as long as we set up an office in China within the next year, they would award us the project. Well, at the time, we did not have any business in China. But since we had a promise from the CIO, my boss and I quickly set up a call on a Sunday night with our CEO and said, here's the opportunity. Customer is willing to support us. Are you okay that we start um, setting up an, or looking for and setting up an office. And part of the strategy was let's set up a 50-50 joint venture. That would help lower the risk. But we've also got a customer. So we felt the risk was low, even though we had no experience working in China. So we were ready to go. And I, he asked me in the call, he said, Dave, do you think you can do this? And as innocent as I was, I said, absolutely. Hung up the call going, oh, this is, this is now mine. So I, I guess I better get started. Well, that's certainly an auspicious start. Um, did you have any interest in the China market in general beyond the customer that you were seeking to support? No, and, and here's what's interesting. We had talked about China, um, and part of our philosophy was if our customers brought us there, but it wasn't even on our radar because as much as we saw China start to move into IT services, we had never worked with anybody that had established any work there. So when this client approached us, it wasn't that we were starting from scratch, but I think we were surprised at how quickly this became a major place for them to do business. And then we found several other customers interested as well. So when you went into the China market, were you looking for partners? 
Yeah, so so this is where we're we're kind of risk averse, but at the same time, the more I learned about China, the more you really needed to find a joint venture partner. So our thought was if we could find a firm already established in Shanghai that had experience with Western firms, we preferred the U.S., but we also realized if they were doing work in Europe, that would qualify as understanding Western security practices. Uh, usually methodologies, because a lot of the methodologies that have been established in Europe, we use here. So we wanted a firm that had experience, and then we would bring, so part of my job at the time as well, is I was practice manager for our support methodology for application support. So we were going to train them in how to do things our way, but we were going to build on top of, hopefully, a, a very successful approach that they had. So we had a client, we didn't really understand the market, and I partnered with another senior executive at our firm, and Pat went through his connections to purchase lists to find partners, and I started talking to all of my uh, business associates, friends, I had a couple customers that did work in Asia, and built my list from their references. So through that, we decided to create a questionnaire. So now that we started to get lists of companies, we built a questionnaire, maybe 10, 20 questions, mainly have you done work with Western companies? And, and we tried to frame it that it was very high level, but was strong enough that we could easily vet it down, which we did. So from the list of, and, and I think our, our initial contacts list, we probably had 17 or 18 firms. Of those firms, only about eight replied to our questionnaire. Of those questionnaires, we then drilled it down to four for follow-up. Two happened to be from Pat's list and two are from my list. Um, so we felt the path that we took at least gave us a lot of good information to get us going. To narrow it further then, we said, okay, we're going to send up another follow-up of these four firms. And we had teleconference to talk through some of the details. And what, what we found out is that their information sometimes was misleading. Um, they answered the question correctly and honestly, but they kind of overplayed their card when they talked about the processes they had in place and the security, because they, they really struggled when we got to that level of detail to explain it. So we then were down to two, and I'm happy to say those two came from my list. <laughs> uh, not that this is not that this is a competition, but we then realized, okay, four of us were going to go over to Shanghai and vet them in person. But two things happen, and, and this kind of sets up why we like both of these firms. The one firm told us, and we're very honest, that they don't have a lot of strong English-speaking people at their company. So they hired a translator to help in our discussions and basically brought her on board, flew her to Shanghai so she could be the main contact for us to work through any details. The other firm said, oh, we have a senior executive that's going to be in your area. Uh, he's flying back from Shanghai in January, and this is maybe four weeks out. Um, so Greg, his name was Greg, he called me and, and said, I'd love to meet with you in your office. I said, great. So he comes to my office. We're chatting through things. A very nice guy, very professional. And then I said, oh, so... How long, you know, I said, where are you staying in the United States? 
And you have to understand a little bit about the Philadelphia area, but out in the suburbs is a place called Exton, which is not the first place I would expect anyone from Shanghai to be put up in a hotel. And he said, well, I'm staying in Exton. I said, oh, that's okay. Well, where are you staying in Exton? And he explains to me, there's a, a shopping center with a Target. And I happen to know there are no hotels in that area. I said, so where are you staying? He goes, oh, I'm not staying in a hotel. I live there with my wife and my daughter. I've been living in the United States for 25 years. And right then and there, I realized he had a leg up on the other company because he had some understanding of how we do business here. And even funnier, just to kind of close that story, he lives exactly 1.7 miles from my house. Wow. So not only did I meet him in China through a Chinese friend of mine, I thought he was living there. He was living five minutes, five minute drive from my house. And we became good friends because as we walked through our, our site visit, we really connected on a personal and a business level. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like your process was all in-house. You guys came up with the strategy of putting together lists and sending out questionnaires. Did you have any assistance from any other parties that might have been a little bit more familiar with the China market? Yes. Yeah, so through my discussions with people that have done business in China, a lot of people, one of the piece of advice that they gave me was you really need to find personal mentors, people that are familiar with the Chinese market, uh, people that can help you from a cultural standpoint and a little bit with language. I happen to have a woman on my team. Uh, she's actually Vietnamese, but went to Chinese schools. So she spoke fluent Mandarin. I had a personal friend that she's originally from Beijing, lived in the States probably 30 years by this time and helped companies get set up in China. So she offered to help me. And between the two of them, they kind of helped me with the basic understanding of how to do business in China. Um, as we started moving forward, we also needed to hire a Chinese lawyer. So there's a firm, we had a relationship in Philadelphia that had a Chinese practice. I was connected with our Chinese lawyer in working through all the details of the contract. And what was interesting is I had never met him in person. We did everything by phone. It was getting kind of frustrating because there were some clauses that I was told were non-starters. But I was also told, well, you know, this is our template. They should sign our template, which was the beginning of my journey of, okay, I think we've got to find a different way of doing things. So as I'm discussing, and I, and, and I can't remember the exact number of paragraphs, but it was probably five or six paragraphs that they wanted changes to. So I'm working through the details with our lawyer. And I said to him, you know, these two paragraphs are fairly significant to us. And I don't see a reason they'd be significant to our Chinese partner. But these four paragraphs, even though we want to keep it in our template, have no bearing on how I would run the operation. So how about we give them their language for those four paragraphs and we keep the others alone? What, what do you think? And he paused and he said, are you Chinese? And I said, no, I'm born in the United States. I haven't even left this country until I was 30. He goes, that's funny because you're thinking and sounding like a Chinese negotiator. You're doing exactly what you need to do to help them feel they're part of this process. So he at that moment said, 
you and I have to have lunch and I will meet with you on a regular basis because I want to help you succeed in China. So now I had three mentors to help me both with language, culture, and legal to kind of work through this and put my best foot forward in China. David, uh, what were your expectations from the China market? And can you talk a little bit about how these may have changed over time? Yeah, as I said at the outset, we hadn't really done any work or, or, or even research on China. So I, we as a company and I as an individual were very naive about the China market. But since we had done a lot of work in the Philippines and, and we'd started doing a little bit of work in India, I was familiar with how to work remotely, how to put global practices in place. We had a good customer that actually wanted us to succeed. They were setting up an office in Shanghai and were willing to help us, including vetting some of the people we wanted to hire. So we kind of walked into the market thinking we have a good support structure with very little expectations. And what's interesting is I think some of that innocence might have helped me because I didn't come with a, this is how you do business in China. I came with a much more open, I wonder how I should do business in China. And that perspective not only helped me, but since I had set up practices before, I kind of looked at it that way, that even though it's 7,400 miles away, I felt like I was just setting up a new practice and I needed to learn how to do it the best way with as many resources helping me as possible. So as I show up, though, one of the things that struck me was on the one hand, I was impressed with their English speaking skills, but I didn't understand that just because they could speak well didn't mean they understood me as well as they could speak. And that created issues over time that we had to address. But the third thing that I think is just as important as anything, over time, what I realized is our common language was business and financial results. The Chinese marketplace, especially Shanghai, very interested in Western practices on how to grow a business with the end result being money. So while the relationships were a big part of how we got started, the business model that we both were successful in made a big impact on the relationship. And it allowed me to understand China over a period of time. So I had none walking in. Uh, there was an article I read once, and, and I, I forget the author's name, but it was something like, first time he was in China, he came back and realized he could write a book about China. Second time he was in China, he realized, okay, maybe I only know enough to write a chapter or two. <laughs> and the third time he was in China, he realized, oh, I, I, I can write a paragraph because it is so complicated. And it's like peeling back an onion with each trip, you realize how complicated it is for a Westerner to understand the practices within China. So David, you had a customer and you found a reasonable partner and I believe you opened up an office in Shanghai. Is that correct? That's correct. So what we did was open up an office within the partner's building. So we got a dedicated area just for our work, but, but they segregated an office space just for us. And a, a little side note on the partner, we're traveling 7,400 miles. The first firm we met with was what we kind of expected. They had a lot of people in a cramped office space with wires everywhere. Uh, but they had some issues that, that we couldn't address. The second firm, we walked into their conference room 
perfectly laid out, agenda already in place. But what caught us off guard was we looked around the room and we noticed they had company colors of blue and white, actually Penn State blue and white. What's really interesting is our CEO and founder is a big Penn State supporter and our company colors are Penn State blue and white. So we kind of sat in the room going, okay, this is becoming too ironic that they told us stories about how they started as a company, sounded like our history. They had the same company colors and they had the same attitude about their role with their customers. So I, I bring that up because as you start to work through what mentors meant to me, we also had a partner who understood how we started our company was similar to theirs. And it gave us another talking point on how we could develop a relationship together over time. So when we came to their office and we said, we need office space, they basically asked me, what do you need in place? Because if you need it completely secure and walled off, we'll do that for you. And we didn't in the beginning, but we had a couple projects from a security standpoint, we started thinking about, do we really need to wall it off and have a, a badge? Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like you have a partner there who helped in many more ways than just selling. Correct. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could give us an idea, thinking back of your time in China uh, working for CAI, what were some of the biggest successes that you had during your time there? Hmm. Um, this is going to sound made up in a sense, but what every project. So I, I think the biggest success starts with, so we've got this relationship. We felt very comfortable with our choice, but you still had to then hire people, staff your first team and, and take care of your first project. So one of the biggest successes was the first team we put in place. The English skills that they brought, their good understanding of business, obviously their technical competence, which was important. Our, our lead actually got an IT degree from the University of Connecticut. So I felt very comfortable, but what's interesting is they really were fascinated by our strategy to grow the business. And we sat down together and we designed or defined our vision and tagline. So when we went in front of customers, we wanted to share something that we both believed in. And so our tagline was two cultures, one solution. And every single meeting and every single trip, we started there. So that became the thread to connect us of the 7,400 miles. The success of the first project became the reference for everybody else. China was a, was a new market to a lot of people in the United States. We had companies that were frustrated with India at the time because they were just getting third tier cities and they heard about China. So we could take them to our office and I hosted customers several different times, walk them into a very professional working space with the proper security and meet every member of our team who would start off with what well, we believe we are two cultures in one solution, which ended up becoming that thing that a customer would even come back to me going, so how did you come up with that? Is that a marketing spiel? And I go, no, we actually sat down and we said, so what are the challenges we have to overcome? And, but when we're talking to customers, how do we make sure they know that they're dealing with one team? And that's actually, it grew out of a couple team meetings. And they said, well, that's great. So they're as invested in you as you are in them. And 
again, I don't see it from my customer's eyes, but when, when one customer said that, I'm going, well, yes, why would you think they wouldn't? Well, we've heard of all these horrible stories. And then I knew we really had something special. Um, the other thing that I, I hang my hat on is we were profitable in year one, which is very hard to do when you're setting up a new project in a different country, in a different office. Um, we landed six new projects in that first year. And it is as crazy as it was, because it's also amazing how exhausted you get by, I, I do not speak Chinese. I do not speak Mandarin. Um, I knew 30 words of Mandarin. 20 of which are to tell them I don't speak Mandarin very well. But at the same time, I'm in meetings where we're talking both English and Mandarin. And that can get very exhausting because your brain is still trying to figure out what's going on. But at the end of the day, the metric that we measured ourselves on was we were financially successful and every single customer became a reference. So we had customer satisfaction success. And that made it. And, and again, I do think the secret ingredient which I'll probably state over and over during this call, is that the relationships we built with our Chinese partner, I was lucky enough to be able to focus on that and given the time to do it the right way and several mentors and something as simple, my very first trip, as simple as she said, they know about New York, they know about DC, they know about LA, teach them what Philadelphia is like. And she said, bring like a big picture book. So I got a picture book of the Brandywine Valley, which includes Valley Forge National Park and some beautiful areas. First day there, I handed it to the CFO. He asked me if he could unwrap it. Also, I learned wrap it with red and gold ribbon. He opens up the book and he goes, Philadelphia. Now, he spoke very little English. He said Philadelphia perfectly. And then I found out through a translator, he actually was in Philadelphia for a period of time at the uh, shipyard. So we became good friends, and he, every time I was there, he wanted to practice his English with me, which was a lot of fun. He would help me with some Mandarin. So I would come home and talk to my mentors, and they said, you have no idea what a big deal that is. And I said, what do you mean? He's just practicing. He said, no, 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 no. They don't want to lose face. So they would never practice their English with an American. They would always practice themselves until they had it perfectly. And, and I realized in meetings, even though I know they speak English, they would usually have a translator do it for them. And now I know why. But that was one of the first parts of the relationship that I understand the nuance of the Chinese culture. That's something as simple that we take for granted. I have fun learning a new language, even though I know I don't speak it very well, uh, especially something like Mandarin. Well, they're not as outgoing in doing that as well. And so when they did, that became another item that helped me understand we've really are starting to develop a great relationship with them. Okay. I think we may have covered a number of these items already in your description of the working relationship that you had with the partner. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you may have faced in working with them, either on projects or the administration of projects? or communication aspects, or, or anything beyond that, and how you were able to overcome those, especially from a remote or long distance? No, that's, that's a good question. And, and there's some obvious ones. Um, you know, the language barrier, it takes some time, the, the time difference. So I had never worked on a project where we 
didn't have a shift cover our time. So even when we did work in the Philippines, we we always had a third shift, their third shift. So going through the time zone, and that wasn't really a challenge to us because it's okay, here's how we're going to schedule our day. But we had some customers push back on that because they were used to the Philippines and India always having a third shift. And in China, that wasn't normal. So especially for the type of work that we did. And I had to spend some time working with customers on, well, here's how we laid out the project. Here's what we agreed to. And this is not the business model, especially for development and testing. That can be done at any time. And, and it's more about the overlap of reviewing metrics and progress. Um, the concept of face, and, and this is something that you learn very quickly. Everybody knows it exists, but not many people understand the many layers to face. And sim simply put for me is don't do any, don't embarrass your client, right? Don't embarrass the other person. So I internalize that to ways that I've always been as a consultant and how to react, but it also started to hit me in many different ways. Um, best example, because of the remoteness, because of the 12 hour time zone, I'll be sitting here in the US realizing, oh, there's five or six things that we need to get accomplished before my next trip. And so I'd fire off an email with my six or seven items and a day or two or three would go by and, and I'd get a little frustrated because I just needed answers on these six items, even if one of those answers was, hey, we need to talk about it. So eventually I figured out, and, and quite frankly, I, I even talked to a couple of my mentors who started to help me understand that in a note of six items, if there's an issue with one item in the email, because they don't want me or them to lose face, they can't tell me they have a problem with it in email. So instead of saying, here's your answer to five items, but I have an issue with one, they just refused to answer the email. And it took me a long time to understand. So first of all, you also have to understand, I got people on my side of the pond uh, going, well, just tell them what to do and when you want it back. And, and that's the end of it. I said, but it's not that simple. I need to figure out how to meet them where they are. I, I need to understand an approach that I can get through this. So I started breaking up my emails and going, you know what? These are two simple ones. I'll put those together. Sometimes I would send six emails with six items because then I would know which one I have an issue. And when I would show up, I would send them an agenda and say, when we meet, I want to talk about these three items, which just so happened to be three emails they never responded to. Then we would deal with it. They would not. So here's where face worked to my advantage. Ignoring an email in their mind, nobody loses face. But ignoring me in person, absolutely, either I or they would lose face. And it's this subtlety, because from an American businessman point of view, what's the big deal? We're talking about 5,000 years of culture. So even though they understand our Western business practices, you're, you're talking about an approach that is much more about who they are as people, not who they are as businessmen. And I found it fascinating that every time I got frustrated, I learned to take a deep breath and go, culturally, what is it that I, I'm missing? And so I took it as a challenge to me to look at doing things different ways. And so that's, that's the easiest example. Um, but even how meetings were done sometimes, I had to learn on the fly how to ask questions a different way. The other, the other challenge was the concept of time and not time zone, 
But the Chinese come at problems or issues with a, the concept that time doesn't matter. So if it takes an hour to resolve something or a year to resolve something, or quite frankly, a generation to solve something, as long as it's solved correctly, which unfortunately usually means their way, that's okay. And this was actually a quote from my business partner one day when I told him some of my frustrations. Um, we became strong enough friends that I could ask the question, and that's exactly what I asked. And I go, it gets very frustrating that sometimes we can't resolve something quickly. And he goes, you need to understand something. We like to solve problems so our children are taken care of. And that put things in perspective going, again, it's not about them as an individual. It's about them as a community. And sometimes what I think is a serious one-on-one -on -one problem is not. So you shouldn't ignore the cultural differences. And, and I actually found something, and I could talk about this topic for a couple hours. During my time flying back and forth, I would read things. And of course, a link would bring me to a link would bring me to a link. And I found research by a guy, uh, Professor Geert Hofstetter, who today is 90 years old and still working. He worked for IBM in the 70s. And he was asked by IBM to create what ended up being called cultural dimensions. So IBM, and I want to say 70 offices around the world, they wanted to learn management techniques to work better in different countries. So he came up with four cultural dimensions. Well, 10 or 15 years later, they started doing business in China. So he studied China to map it to these four cultural dimensions and ended up adding a fifth. That fifth one was called long-term orientation. So as I'm reading it and I'm just learning about this concept of time, I'm going, oh my God, this is exactly what I've been witnessing live. And so I dug into what he did and I looked at the dimensions and there's a, there's a, he's got a graph so you can actually find it online. What's fascinating about it is I got a, about a year's worth of experience before I read about him. And I looked at his five dimensions and found out that three of them, China is on one level and the US is in the opposite zone. So in long-term orientation and individualism were the two top items that as a country culture, we were at the opposite ends of the spectrum. And so the concept about individualism is we, Americans are known as being entrepreneurs and starting up their own business and moving forward and becoming individually wealthy. China, on the other hand, is all about the community, all about the family, all about what's called guangxi, which is the relationship aspect or contacts that they make with individuals. And that relationship means more to them than any contract. So I started to learn all these nuances about their culture and immediately started talking to my mentors about, so what does this mean in practice? How can I, from this, change the way that I operate? And that's where over the next couple of years, I've refined, I wanna say refined, how I did things in such a way to continue to build relationships while at the same time managing the business, getting the results that we needed, but respecting their culture along the way. Well, David, I've really enjoyed listening to all your stories. Very, very interesting. Thank you. And I'm wondering if you can just think back at your time in China with CAI and try to boil down your experiences into one or two 
pieces of advice that you would like to share with other businesses that are looking to go into the China market? Okay. Only one or two? I'll, I'll, I'll try my best. Um, the, the concept of faith, I, I, the concept of time and faith, and I'll put those two together because be prepared that you're going to walk into a situation that it something doesn't make sense. And read as much as you can. Find Chinese mentors. I'll, I'll put that at the top of the list. Um, all of the nuances of dealing with a different culture is fascinating. And yet, I, I also teach leadership to consultants, and we talk about how each business that we support have different business cultures. And there's a book um, called The Art of Managing People by uh, Dr. Tony Alessandra. And one of the things he does is say, don't follow the golden rule, follow the platinum rule, which is treat others the way they want to be treated. So to kind of put everything in a, in a nutshell, when you're working with anybody, you should do it that way. When you're working with different cultures and countries, you've got to do some homework to understand what can I do differently to treat others the way that they want to be treated? The other thing is to understand why relationships are so important, or more importantly, how relationships drive how successful your business will be. Uh, after probably my fifth or sixth trip, we're having dinner. And, and like I said, I, I knew 30 words of Mandarin. I spoke them pretty well. They wanted to teach me Shanghainese. Now, what you need to understand about China is there are no books to teach any other language. Matter of fact, it's against the law to teach any other language but Mandarin. They taught me one word in Shanghainese and it meant beautiful. And, and I, I'm gonna mess it up here, so I'm, I'm, but it's Lotsega. Uh, and I know I'm saying it wrong, so please don't beat me up over it. But why I tell you the story is the next day I had to get on a plane and it's 95 degrees and none of the cabs in Shanghai have air conditioning. And I know I'm gonna sweat my butt off on the way to the airport, which is about 45 minute ride. So we're stuck in traffic. I decide, and I don't know what made me even think of this because I didn't know that my taxi driver was Shanghainese. I look out the window, I look at the skyline and I go, Lotsega, and he stares at me in the rearview mirror. I decide to try a second time. With that huge smile and he starts to roll up the windows and I realize he's gonna kill me. He is rolling up the windows to suffocate me in this car today. I'm never gonna get back to the United States. Then he reaches over, hits a switch, and he turns on the air conditioner, which I had been there five times in the summer. I had never seen an air conditioner in any taxi. So I get home. My business partner actually came back to the US a couple of weeks later. I told him this story and he goes, you don't know why? Dave, with everything we've been teaching you, you don't know why? The only way you could have learned that word was from someone from Shanghai. He must have been from Shanghai. And as soon as he recognized the word, he realized you're part of his family now because you had to have learned it from somebody in Shanghai. The Shanghainese take care of each other. You are now considered one of his family. And I was like, my mind was blown. But it's that deep is how deep this connections goes to and the relationships go to. And with that, I, I probably doubled down on everything that I did to make sure I did it correctly. But at the same time, I also got comfortable sharing with them what I read or what I saw and what does it really mean so that they could tell me in their own words. So I'll tell you, invest as much time in relationships as possible. They'll help you along. It's like learning a new language. 
And at the same time, it's okay to make mistakes because eventually they'll realize, okay, he's, he's just trying. So let's help him. And, and I, I'll give you one last story because it, it talks about that I must have built up enough relationship status. I was so, we just got these new business card holders uh, right before I left for a trip. Nice little gold thing, not too expensive. So you always want to bring a nice gift. And it had a clock on it. So I give the gifts out to the eight executives. And then that night in the hotel, I'm finishing one of my books on uh, Chinese culture. And it talks about gifts. And it says, under no circumstance should you give a clock because the character for clock is similar to death. Now I've got to go to work the next day. So I pull my business partner aside and I apologize. And I go, I'm sorry, I didn't know. What, what do I do? And he goes, don't worry. Yesterday afternoon, we all got together and talked about it. And we realized Dave wouldn't have done that. So we're calling it a watch because you can give a watch. You just can't give a clock. So they called it a watch. And I'm going, no, really? It's, and he says, no. So two things out of that was obviously it's, it's called, you know, I built up an emotional bank account using a Stephen Covey expression. But two, they did sit down and meet about it. So it, it was significant enough that they talked about it. But I'm proud to say that clearly spending two years building up the relationship status, they realized that I, I would not have done something to, to hurt them. And they carried me through it and taught me another valuable lesson. That's a terrific story. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it was overwhelming at times. But, but again, that's where the cultural mentor just kind of helps you piece things together and spend as much time on that as possible, I'll say, is the one thing that will carry you forward. Well, David, thank you very much for being a guest on the show today and providing us with your insightful and fascinating reflections and comments. Um, can you tell us what the best way would be for our listeners to learn more about you or to get in touch with you? Uh, yes, you can reach me probably best through email at david.broderick at proteus, that's P-R-O-T-I-U-S dot net. And then from there, because I've got a library of information on books, so I, I, I am fully prepared to help in any way that I can and kind of point you to the books that I think have the biggest impact on me and be kind of a, a cultural confidant, so to speak, as, as you're working through it, I, I can just help you in any way that I can. Thank everyone for listening. Music for the podcast is performed by the Chinese experimental rock band Chui Wan. We would love to hear your feedback, ideas, or any questions you might have. Feel free to reach out to us in any way you feel comfortable. Connect with us on LinkedIn or follow us on Twitter. Also visit our website, chinabizconnect.com, where you can view show notes and sign up for our newsletter. Please subscribe to China Biz Connect on iTunes or your favorite place to get podcasts. If you enjoy the show, give us a positive rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk with you again soon.